I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us on LiveGate Outreach TV or listening to the uh, audio message of today by podcasts uh, and on Buzzsprouts. I want to say God bless you and thank you for following up and thank you for the testimonies you send from time to time through our social media uh, and um, other portals that you get in touch or directly getting in touch from where you are. Uh, I was out in the country of Nigeria last week and I heard a lot of testimonies about people following in that country. And I want to thank you all for praying for us because we know that it is your prayers that help us to break through these very difficult grounds and these difficult times of the situations of life. I pray that God will continue to strengthen everyone in Jesus' name. As God gives us testimonies in this place, I pray that the testimonies will continue to spread everywhere the message of this commission is being heard in Jesus' name. We are on a series on the creative power of God and uh, I just want to encourage you to continue to follow the series as we normally do. Last week, Pastor Lola started us very powerfully on uh, this topic, with, on this series with a topic on the transformational power of God. As part of this series, have we got the banner? As part of this series, we're looking at about eight things, just going through, thank you, going through the book of uh, John, uh, the 21 chapters in the book of John, by God's inspiration, I split, split into about eight topics that we're going to look at in considering three chapters or two chapters at a time, as the case may be. Last week was a focus on chapters one, two, and three of that great book of the Apostle. And um, we looked at it from the perspective of the transformational power, what I call the transformational power of uh, the uh, creative, the transformational dimension of the creative power of God. And uh, if you haven't listened to that message, it blessed me. I was in Dubai when uh, I, I was able to pick it up the morning of the, of the Sunday when it was put online. And uh, I was just about to board my, my connecting flight to, to Nigeria. And uh, I, that, that one hour was so, so wholesome for me, just listening to that message because I was not privileged to be in here when it was being preached on Sunday. And I was really blessed by it. I didn't see it as a message that came from somebody that I'm biologically connected to, but I saw it as a message from the throne of God, really deep, deep insight. And I prayed for that woman because she really delved into things that I believe if the body of Christ today can understand it settles many matters about the questions we have about our Christianity and who we are. So I want to encourage you to please listen to it again because it really set the scene for us in understanding. Today we are looking at what I call the multiplicational dimension of the creative power of God. Uh, again, this is for John chapter 4, John chapter 5, and John chapter 6. Just grouping those three chapters. And as I've always said to you, anytime we look at a particular book of scripture and we pick themes from it, I want you to know that those themes are the themes that God wants us to look at for that time. We can go through the same book again and pick other themes as God would uh, want and desire. But God showed me in John chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6 that there is a pattern of God's creative ability in multiplication. The power of God for multiplication is very important. You see, many times we suffer and we are not able to take delivery of all that God has in store for us because we do not understand the multifaceted dimension of his power. You see, when you know the power that somebody carries and uh, you are able to relate with them in that power, you are able to tap into the power they carry. 
you are able to understand that this person has the ability that is the power to do certain things and then you can ask them freely for it. And when they promise you those things, you know that they can do it because it is in their power to do so. Hallelujah. God has a special creative ability to multiply. And we may say, what, 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 does that, what has that got to do with us? What has that got to do with me? You see, there are certain things in your life that will need you to experience the, this multiplicational dimension of the power of God. Because God has made it available and if for, for you to enjoy the fruits thereof, you must know how it operates and how God expects you to tap into it. So this is the purpose of this session. So this creative power of God is dimensional, is multifaceted and is multidimensional. And so we'll be looking at them on those different topics there from week to week, right to the last topic there, which we call the restorative power of God. But I want today to look at the multiplicational power of God. That is his capacity to multiply. You see, in the beginning, God commanded man to be fruitful and multiply. This is God's command. One of the very first thing God said to man when he created man is he blessed him and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And Genesis chapter 1, if we read that, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and verse 28, can we go there? The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. Are we there? Let's read together now. So God created man in his own image, in his image of God created him. Male and female, he created them. Now let's shout verse 28 together. Shout it loud. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now that is very important verse. The very first phrase there is that God blessed them. Many times we say God said to them, be fruitful. The first thing God did was to bless them before he decreed fruitfulness. Because it is the blessing that orchestrates fruitfulness. It is the blessing, the hand of God, the enabling of God, the blessing, the favor of God, the expression of God, the manifestation of God that facilitates fruitfulness and multiplication. This is why we bless things. We bless things because when we bless things, we release upon those things. We bless people and bless things because we release upon those things the grace of God, the package of God, the aspect of God that makes possible things that would have been impossible. Without the blessing, man could not have been fruitful. Without the blessing, man could not have been able to multiply. This is why we, 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 in the body of Christ, trivialize the blessing when we tie it to frivolous things, little, little things, cars, houses, clothes, shoes. Those things are on the fringes. The blessing is God manifesting on your behalf, helping you to attain the realm of impossibilities. The Bible says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. But Jesus said, you see, some things may be impossible with man. When they say, how can this thing be? How can a man enter through the eye of a needle? He said, how can it be? Jesus said to them, he said, you know something? It may be impossible with man, but not with God. For with God, who is the blesser, the God who blesses, no thing shall be impossible. When he spoke to Mary, Mary said, how can it be, seeing that I know not a man? 
He said that is, it may be impossible with man, but not with God. For with God, nothing, for with God, all things are possible and nothing shall be impossible. It is the blessing of God that we need in understanding this multiplication of power of God. We don't have time. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 is very loaded. You will notice I use these two verses a lot. Because everything that we talk in scripture starts from these very two verses of the Bible. And the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He gave earth to man. Somebody say he gave the fish, he gave the sea to the fish. Say he gave the sea to the fish. And he gave the air to the birds. That is why he didn't say have dominion over the sea. And he didn't say have dominion over the air. He said have dominion over the fish because in his own wisdom he gave fish. This is why fish does not need any kind of swimming kit. He doesn't need a diving apparatus to do his thing in water because he has dominion in that realm. So God said I have given fish dominion over the sea. And of course fish is just representing everything that lives underwater. He said, I have given them dominion over the seas, but now I'm giving you dominion over them. Hallelujah. This is an important concept for us to understand. So that when we pray and when we are seeking to exercise our dominion, we know how to understand that we must exercise dominion over the things that God has given dominion over realms. We must exercise dominion over the things that God has given dominion over different realms. And may God continue to grant us understanding in the name of Jesus. So everything starts with a seed. And God is the one who transforms like we read, like we understood last week. God is the one who through his transformational power transforms the seed and he also multiplies it. He is the one that gives the bread to the eater and the seed to the sower. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 10. Let's read together. 1, 2, go. Now may he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. May he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown. So he gives you seed but he also gives the ability. He also carries out the multiplication of the seed. But you have a responsibility to sow. Say, God gives me the seed. I have the responsibility to sow. And it is his responsibility to multiply. So when we don't do what we ought to do, we break the chain. When we don't do what we ought to do, we stop the process. We, 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 we frustrate the process. When he said, God bless them. And God said, be fruitful multiply what did he do he put a seed in man and another kind of seed in the woman called the egg and when man and woman bring these two seeds together in obedience to the principle of sowing when they sow it together he multiplies it and out of it he brings out babies he brings out what could not have been contained in the one and so we understand that there is a process, what we naturally and scientifically call procreation today, that involves a man and a woman. A man's seed and a woman's seed, as it were, coming together, but not having any ability to do anything without the multiplicational power of God causing it to become a child. 
And that is the process of fruitfulness. So when he said be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply, what he's saying is obey me. Every seed I give to you, you take, you sow. As you sow, I multiply. As you sow, I cause them to be transformed, to germinate and to bear fruit and multiply. And bring forth other seeds that bear fruit and keep multiplying. Bringing forth other seeds that bear fruit and keep multiplying. And so just quickly, in the context of the three chapters we are reading today, in John chapter 4, John chapter 5, and John chapter 6, want to quickly explain to us some three dimensions, as I picked from those chapters, of this multiplicational power of God. Those of you who are listening to this audio or listening by, uh, watching by video, I want to say that we read from John chapter 4 at the beginning of our service today, from verse 7 to verse 30, as our Bible reading, just as a typical part of what we are discussing today. But if you want to really get the context of this message, please read the whole of John chapter 4, the whole of John chapter 5, and the whole of John chapter 6 in the context of this message as it were. John chapter 4 starts us off with a very interesting story. One of the most talked about women on the, from the pages of scripture. We simply refer to her as the Samaritan woman. We don't really know her name. But this woman had one of those chance meetings with the Lord Jesus Christ. It was very, very uncommon in her time for Samaritans to have anything to do with Jews because Jews treated themselves as an upper class. They treated themselves as a special race. They treated themselves as God's people and every other person was Gentile and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. It was like an abomination for Jews to have anything to do with this kind of people. And so this woman met Jesus and uh, of course, initially, she said, you are a Jew. Why is it that you talk to me? And all those kind of conversations. And Jesus began to talk with her. And Jesus began to engage her. And I've always used this illustration that Jesus would always relate with you based on what you are accustomed to, based on what you are physically connected to. This woman always comes to that well, Jacob's well, to draw water. And so Jesus began to talk about water. I've told you so many times. Peter was a man who was a fisherman. Jesus related to him with fish because that's what he understood. That's the language he understood. And I keep saying that that is what we must understand as disciples of Jesus. You must enter people's world to introduce your spirituality. The problem with the body of Christ is that we have always come from our high horses where we have all the spiritual understanding and we want to impose it into a realm of people who are not understanding where we're coming from. There is always a natural door that you can use to bring the supernatural into any situation. There is always a natural door. This woman was a person who was coming to that well to draw water all the time. So when she came on this fateful day, she never knew what was waiting for her. It was a day for multiplication to take place in her life. Because this multiplication was not just going to be about her, her own salvation, but about the salvation of her entire city. God is such a faithful God. And on this day, he met this woman. And he said, give me some water, just to strike the conversation. And the woman said, I don't have anything to draw water. You don't have anything to draw water? He said, I can't give you water. What should I do with you? I'm just paraphrasing. But Jesus now continued to engage with her. And they got into talking about the well. So much so that Jesus said to her, 
go and call your husband. Because she said, I like the living water that you say you have. He said, go and call your husband. And Jesus now went, started gradually going into the spiritual aspect of this woman's life. And she said, I have no husband. And then he brought out by prophetic insight to the woman and by divine revelation, the word of knowledge, he told her, you have said right. Because not only have you had five husbands, but the one that you currently are with is not even your husband. And that changed everything for the woman. He said, I perceive you are a prophet. But to cut the long story short, the woman got her salvation from that point. And she ran back to the town where she had come from. And let's read verse 39 of that scripture as we have it on the screen. The Bible says, as she told them, come. He said to them, let's see. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him, that is Jesus, because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they heard him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. Go to verse 39 again. They first believed because of the word of the woman. When the word of the woman who had a testimony of transformation got to them, they came to Jesus, and then, verse 41, go to verse 41. After being introduced to Jesus through the testimony and the word of the woman, look at what they said, and many more now believe because of his own word. So we have a duty in exercising this multiplication of power of God in letting the world hear our testimonies. In letting the world hear our stories. Because in the manifestation of those stories and those testimonies is the ability to bring many to God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So we use the pages of our social media to lift up Jesus. We use our expressions and our groupings in the workplace and our groupings in our communities and our settings with our friends, with our associates to glorify Jesus. And as we glorify Jesus, the Bible says, as we lift him up, many will be drawn unto him. And when they are drawn unto him, the Bible says, many more will believe. Because in the case of this woman, there was a multiplicational effect of the power of God through the testimony of one man. I pray of one woman in this case. God is always seeking for laborers in this vineyard for the harvest. John chapter 4, verse 35. As we continue to read down, go to, go to verse 35. He said, do you not say there are still four more months that come and then the harvest? He said, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. The fields are ready. The people are ready. It is a lack of spiritual eyesight and understanding not to see that there is a ready harvest. Forget about the arguments you are hearing all over the place. As a matter of fact, the arguments and the rejections and the frustrations are signs of birth pains. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation is awaiting. They are groaning together and they are waiting the manifestation of the sons of God. The groaning together is the argument that you are hearing today. The groaning together is the, is the rejection of the truth that seems to be happening today. Every one of those things that are antithesis, that are antithesis rather, to the true thesis of the feel God, the only God. Everything you are hearing against it are a groaning that the Bible says will happen in the end time. And the Bible says you just need to look around. Instead of feeling discouraged that there is an argument against the truth, you should see that that is the sign that there is a ripening of the harvest. Hallelujah. The Bible says for they are already white for harvest. They are ready for harvest. Isaiah 1.19 says, if only if your sins be as scarlet and as red as scarlet, he said they shall be white as snow. So God has already gone ahead and has prepared the harvest for revival. He has already gone ahead and has prepared the people for salvation. The body of Christ must understand that it is engaging this multiplicational power of God. In true faith, understanding that you and I need to position ourselves at every occasion, every opportunity to reach those who need to be touched with this word that will bring about a turnaround. Verse 36. Verse 36. The Bible says, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. But he who sows and he who reaps may do what? Rejoice together. Verse 37. Verse 37, the Bible says, For in this saying is true, one sows, another reap. One sows, another reap. When you sow, somebody else reaps. This is how the harvest works. Somebody else reap. We reap at times what somebody else has sown. What does that mean? Every opportunity you have to sow in the life of somebody may not necessarily mean that you will be the one who reaps that harvest unto the Lord. But you have a mandate to sow. You be the one who sows. You be the one who sows. As you go about sowing, God will also bring to your, your favor and to your place the opportunity to reap part of that harvest. And that will be your portion in the name of Jesus. Verse 38, the Bible says, I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. I say to you, keep looking. The white harvest, the ones I've already prepared because somebody has sowed into their lives. I have prepared them for the white harvest. I am sending you, be open, look out, be sober, be vigilant because some of those will be reaped by you. And I pray that God will continue to use us mightily as end time tools of evangelism in his hand in the mighty name of Jesus. So this means that we must be selfless. Being selfless is therefore a seed in God's hand for the harvest of the more souls. John chapter 12, verse 24. We need to learn how to be selfless. What does that mean? We need to learn how to inconvenience, in quote, ourselves. We need to learn how to sacrifice some convenience in order to let our lives like that woman. Listen, friends. That woman was a very notorious woman in the village. If you cannot be in a town where people know you as having five husbands, and, and have a good reputation there. Even in our modern day, people would have called her names. I mean, you don't want to imagine what they would have called her. Five husbands, she tried. <laughs> she tried. So, but for her to, to embrace this thing and reject everything about her reputation and would, not, would ignore every consequence of what people would say and laugh at her and say, even you 
or whatever they were going to say, she went. But when she went, she did not get the result that the enemy must have bombarded her thoughts with. Rather, she got a harvest of souls and brought them to Jesus. Hallelujah. You must know how to be the grain of wheat, like John 12, 24 says, that falls to the ground and dies so that you stop remaining alone. If it dies, it produces much grain. The path to being fruitful and enjoying multiplication in the spiritual realm is learning how to make your life one that knows how to constantly fall to the ground and dies. 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul said, For I die daily. I die daily. When we are engaged with things that are trivial and are always full of the flesh, always arguing with one another, striving and shoving and doing those things that are irresponsible in the kingdom, we are not dying to self. We are not allowing ourselves to fall to the ground and die. There are names that you will be called that you will laugh and smile at for the sake of the kingdom. There are things you will hear about yourself and refuse to budge for the sake of the kingdom. There are things that people will say concerning you that will irritate you and you would naturally want to respond but you refuse to respond for the sake of the kingdom. There are assignments you will undertake. There are phone calls you will make that naturally speaking, you would not have been making that in your pride and in your ego. But for the sake of the kingdom, you make those calls. There are people you will visit that you would not naturally want to visit because of what they have done to you, because of what they have said to you, because of what they have said about your family, because of what they have said about your church. You would not naturally have wanted to visit them, but you die to self when the Holy Spirit says, I need you to go and bring about a healing in their lives. And that is how you know how you continue to fall to the ground and die. You continue to fall to the ground and die. So that when you rise, you produce much grain. When you rise, you produce fruits worthy of the kingdom. The Bible says by their fruits we will know them. It means that by those who are selfless, by those who have let everything about self and ego and individual pride die, are those that you will start to see the manifestation of the fruit of the spirit and also the fruit that are abounding in the kingdom. May God make us multiplicational in the area of soul winning. In the name of Jesus. Don't forget, so winning does not only entail us having winning people to Christ for the first time. It also means going to those who are bruised, those who have fallen, those who have given up, those who have blasphemed, those who have done things. As long as the Holy Spirit leads us to them, let us not give up on any. The body of Christ today is very vicious, very vicious. When I read the pages of social media and I see criticisms against people who might have been in error or not, because some of the things are not even proven many times, but even if they were, I see the body of Christ today and I wonder if the acts of apostles Christians were like this, where would we have been today? If there were people who killed each other, finished each other and rubbished each other and made it impossible for, for people to, to thrive when they fell. I used to say jokingly, you have heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. John chapter 8, when Jesus was about to, when those people were about to stone the woman, that, and Jesus said, he, he who is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. And the Bible says, one by one, they dropped the stone from the oldest to the youngest. That's what the Bible says. I'm still trying to understand. Is it that older people are quickly convicted? I don't know, but the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest. <laughs> they dropped their stones one by one and left. And Jesus says, has no one condemned you? We're going to treat that in a future chapter. I think it's next week. But you know something? 
I say humorously, but I think there's an element of truth in it. I have a suspicion, and God, you know my heart. I'm not trying to rewrite the Bible. But I have a suspicion that if Jesus asked that question today, somebody will throw a stone. Somebody will throw a stone. I have that inner conviction. Reading the Bible and looking at the world of today, somebody will throw a stone. Somebody will say, I have no sin. And he will throw that stone. Because of what we can see. When people turn so vicious, let us not join that crowd. Let us remain as God ordained us to be. People who are dying to self. People who believe that we have a God of second chance. We are not encouraging sin living like that. We are not encouraging evil living like that. But what we are doing is living like our master. If he didn't condemn anyone, we have no right to condemn anyone. Who made people the police of people, spiritual police? Some people have turned to spiritual police of churches. They have created columns for themselves to write against churches and publish to millions of people worldwide. Let us not be in that kind of an army. Everything that we write, everything that we say should always glorify God, should always be soothing, should always be encouraging. He said, even if one is caught in a fault, those of you who are righteous, he said, you should go and hold that one and bring him up. May God continue to grant us understanding in the name of Jesus. Number two thing, that is multiplicational. We go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. If you read the whole of John chapter 5, it says many things. But again, I want to talk on this man who has been at this gate in Bethesda, uh, in, at this porch in Bethesda for 38 years. Sick of the palsy, never being able to rise from the day he was born. All for 38 years. And Jesus came to him and said, do you want to be healed? The Bible says... That before that time, the man was, uh, we, we were told that the only way to have been healed was a natural provision for a supernatural intervention of, of angels. So there is a natural rising of the water that you can physically see by the staring up of an angel. You can physically see it so you know when to go and touch. And the first person to get into the water gets their healing. So everybody waits around the water and just basically looks at the water. They look and look and look. And when the angel comes, everybody's eager. The moment there's the staring, the first person to jump in. And they practice that for 38 years. But this man, for the 38 years of this life of this man, but he gave up because there was no chance. He had nobody to take him to the pool. So he was just watching the show. When the staring comes up, he looks, who's going to make it? Ah, okay, John, that's your chance today. Bye. You see, we are still here. <laughs> we are the customer here. I'm the manager of this place for the last 38 years. I know who God saved 12 years ago. In fact, I remember it was a little boy. As soon as the angel came, the little boy ran in, and that was it. <laughs> and he can tell everybody's story. But his own story was not changing. But there is an aspect of this multiplicational power of God that can multiply your testimony, not so much to the extent that it has a natural connotation, but a supernatural connotation. And what do I mean by that? This is in manifesting by divine intervention. The first one is harvest of souls, John chapter 4. The second one is by manifesting by divine intervention. Friends, until you learn how to understand the place of divine intervention, I'm sorry to say, we will suffer some things like that man for a long time. There are some things that will not change. Not because God is not willing to, but because our minds are locked to the natural. Our minds are locked to natural processes. 
to qualifications, to experience, to gender, to race, to things, to where you live, to postcode, to this, to that, to this. Because there is a natural process that says that if you are going to amount to anything in certain ways, some natural things must be in place. Now, those things can be very true. I know of a truth as a, as a practicing professional engineer. You cannot call yourself a professional engineer if you don't have some natural qualifications. And I know that some of those restrictions could be there. But you see, the truth of the matter is that that should not be a limit to your life. Because there are many things that you can do that may not necessarily require you to have those qualifications. So you don't lock yourself and say, because I have not attained this qualification and I have no means to attain this qualification, so I cannot attain the things that would have been delivered by that qualification. This is the same thing with this man. We read the story. It might be funny to us, but this is the reality. He said, I have no man. I have nothing natural to help me. I cannot move. I cannot do what I ought to have done in order to get my healing. But Jesus, look at what he said to him in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, when Jesus saw him stuck in the old ways, when Jesus saw him in the place of natural thinking and mindset blocked, the Bible says he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. I want you to know, friends, Jesus knows that you have been there a long time. But there is certain things that he cannot do. Just like with this man. He would have just got there and know that this man has been there a long time and just changed things. But he still asked him, do you want to be made well? Because that question has to be answered by you if you want to see the supernatural. He is asking you and I today, are you ready for my supernatural divine intervention? I say, church, are you ready for divine intervention? Are you ready for divine intervention? You must convince yourself and convince the Lord God Almighty that you will not remain closed to the natural. My life has taken delivery of many things, many things, and is still taking delivery of many by the grace of God, supernaturally. You must understand, it works even today. The sick man said, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Is that what he was asked? Is that the question he was asked? So don't answer the question you were not asked. In the little knowledge I have in education, that is a fail. They ask you one question, you ask, well, you're not a politician. <laughs> Have you heard politicians being interviewed on radio? <laughs> they ask them, what do you want to do about taxes? He will say, you see, as for education, this is what... <laughs> Nobody asks him about education. <laughs> I used to feel amused when, when some politicians are talking. They say, what do you want to do about taxes? He, no, he has no clue what he's going to do. So, but there is this thing he has about education. So when they say, what are you going to do to fix these taxes you mentioned? He said, you see, in education, we will go to higher education and look at this. Ah, that's not the question. <laughs> so you are not a politician. Stop behaving like one. This man, they said, do you want to be? He didn't even say, I want to be healed, but. He didn't even say that. The answer was totally irrelevant. He said, sir, I have no man. He started explaining the natural. Why am I spending so much time here? Christians go for prayer. Christians look at, unto God for divine intervention. And when he is asking that simple question now, do, are you ready for me to manifest in this area? We start to say, there is this thing they said that I cannot achieve. And they said I cannot do this, I cannot do that. We start to talk like this man. May God deliver us from every natural limitations in our minds. In the name of Jesus. 
Verse 8. Jesus simply said, regardless of everything he's saying, verse 8, verse 8. Jesus simply said to him, what? Rise, take up your bed and walk. I don't need that explanation. I know you need, I was the one that sent the angel to be staring the pool. This is my paraphrase. You won't find that in your Bible. He is the healer. He is the one that sends the angel to stare the pool for healing. Not the devil. The devil doesn't do good things like that. He has no good in him. So God is the one. Jesus, the Bible says, he sent his word and his word healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So if the word is sent and he sends an angel, the same thing. He said, don't tell me what I know. I did that to help people, but now I am here. He said, just rise. Take up your bed and walk. And we know that the rest is history. I want you to know, friends, divine intervention is still very real in our times. Verse 9 says, and immediately, immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, did exactly what he was told to do because he had faith. May your faith be alive always. May you be responsive to the commandments of the Most High God in the name of Jesus. Verse 24 says, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word, he who hears my word and believes in me, in him who sent me, has everlasting life, eternal life, the life of plenty, the life of multiplication, the life of abundance, abundant life. They're all the same thing. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The agenda of the enemy is to lead from sin to sickness to death. But he said, when even somebody is in sin or in sickness and he believes in him, he's rescued from death and brought into everlasting life. Some of us have had parents and grandparents who did horrible things that should have led us into eternal damnation for the next 20 generations of our life because they did terrible things. When I was a little boy, my understanding, I don't know whether it was true, but really the rich young people were dying in my hometown. It was like witches were flying all the time. So when people are going home, they don't tell, they don't, they, 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 they don't keep quiet. They go at night and enter in the day. <laughs> I mean, if you came from those kind of villages, you drive into the town at night and then before morning, you are gone. <laughs> because, because those guys are vicious. They used to fly. <laughs> Until God started raising servants and giants like God bless his soul, Archbishop Benson Idahosa. Who will stand up and challenge witches in the night. That enough is enough. Enough is enough. Then more preachers started gaining confidence. <laughs> more of them started coming out. And it delivered that nation. Of course there's witchcraft everywhere anytime. But it delivered that nation tremendously. At a time in my hometown. I, said, I remember before I was teenage. Nine, age eight, nine. Every week you hear somebody was dead. And who were they? 40 year olds, 35 year olds. In their prime. Evil, dead, accident, dead, sickness, dead, unexplained, dead, heart attack. But when we found God and God started bringing up those kind of generals in the kingdom who could tell us that these are powers but we have the higher power and we began to challenge those things, those things started to die out of our communities. And I pray that God will continue to help us to see how we can be rescued the same way God rescued us, how we can continue to live our lives so that we come into that everlasting life and not allow judgment. May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. The Bible says in verse 25, it says, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. This is the multiplicational power of God. 
the dead. If you go straight to verse 28, he said, do not marvel for this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. It doesn't matter. Even if there has been a dying of a situation, even if it has been locked off in the grave like Lazarus for four days or for time, you need to understand that hearing the voice of God by faith brings alive everything that the enemy has stolen. And God will continue to restore in your life. Verse 29, verse 29, the Bible says, and come forth. Those who have, what, done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Friends, I want you to understand, good and evil there has nothing to do with moral deeds alone. John chapter 3, verse 17, said, for God did not send his son into the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He said, he who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. So good is believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Evil is rejecting him. It's as simple as that. I didn't say that, but if you read John chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17, that's what the Bible says. Finally, I want to talk about divine supplies. Number one, harvest of souls. Number two, divine intervention. And number three, divine supplies. This is what we enjoy when we place what we have in God's hand so that we can get what we need. Divine supplies happens. We read that, from, this is the theme from John chapter 6. Placing the five loaves and the two fish in God's hand so that we can get the multiple of loaves and fishes that we need to feed the thousands. Many believers do not understand that we owe a responsibility, as I said, to plant the seed in our hand. He gives us the seed. He gives us the bread to eat, the seed to sow. But we must sow so that we can put it in his hand so that we can get what we need. In John chapter 6, verse 9, they said there is a lad here. When they wanted to feed those people, 5,000 men plus, said there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. He said, but what are they among so many? What are they among so many? Many of us always look at the things that we have as intangible. God gave it to you. He knows that that is what it is. He asked Moses in front of the Red Sea. He said, what is that in your hand? Moses said, it's a rod. <laughs> and God was like, you, if you know what you are holding in your hand, you won't just tell me it's a rod. And as soon as Moses stretched forth the rod, we know the sea is parted. I want you to know that everything God asked from us, let's encourage the children to settle down, everything God has for us is as a result of what he wants to give to us. Everything God has for us is as a result of what he wants to give to us. Everything he has given you is a seed for what he wants to. Don't hold that seed as if it is the end of your life. Your time, your money, your resources, your talents, your abilities, they are seeds in your hand in many cases for you to hand over to God. Hannah was saying, Lord, give me a child, give me a child, give me a child. It seems nothing happened. The moment she converted the child to a seed, the harvest of the boy came. Not only did the boy come, he came with a prophetic mandate. He came with the highest office in the land because prophets were bigger than kings. Friends, let us understand this. 
And they said, verse 10, Jesus said, make the people sit down. And he took there, he took it up. He said, now there were many people, much grass, so the people sat down. Verse 11, and Jesus, verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and disciples to those who are sitting down. And likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. Five loaves, two fish. 5,000 plus people got as much as they wanted. It beats every natural imagination. When God's multiplicational power comes upon your seed, it transforms you into another man. It makes you do impossible things. And when people ask you, how do you do it? You know very well that it is beyond you. Three weeks ago, I was far away in Hong Kong. Flew through Dubai, came back to this country. I've gone to Nigeria. Flew through Dubai again, came back to this country. Three, four days ago, I was in my village seeing my parents. And when I set foot on that soil, I said, God, you are the only one that can embrace a person like this. Because that environment was very different. You know when you are in the village and you are coming from very, very advanced areas, everything looked different. Even though it's the village you came from. <laughs> I said, Lord, you are the only person that can make a person live like this. Now, I'm not calling myself anything, but I'm just telling you on this kind of my little tapping into these realms of how it is possible to live like the wind. I don't have time to tell you how God gave me the money to make the last trip. I'll give you that some other time. I said, Lord, I've not seen my father and mother in a long time. Earlier on in the year, I desire to see them. Now, I can save 4,000 pounds by God's grace and privilege to go, but I need money for a lot of things. And I said, Lord, I just need a supernatural intervention. And just two months ago, something came up through my university, and I had the opportunity of going to do that assignment and on the back of it. So everything was fully paid. On the back of it, I could see my parents. There is something, as long as you keep yielding this your life consistently. This is why I say to people, people think it is until you amass one million in your bank account before you know the blessing of God. The blessing is just an enabler. God coming to your point when you need him. God supplying your need when you need him. This is what divine supply is. I pray you start to operate in the realm of divine supplies. In the name of Jesus. So every time you present what you have to God, he gives you what you need in return. When you present a seed, he gives you fruit. When you present your soul of, for salvation, he not only gives you salvation, he gives your household. Acts chapter 16 verse 31. He said, believe on the Lord, you will be saved. You and your household. When you present your soul, he gives your household alongside with you. Where every time you present a family, God gives you a nation. Every time you present diligence, he gives you reward. Because he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Just keep knowing what to present and keep seeing him deliver to you what you truly need. Every time you present your house, he presents a home. The Bible says every house is builded by some man, but God is the builder of it all. He is the maker of a home. So present your house to the Lord. Make it a place of prayer. Make it a place that people can come and find relaxation in God and you can share the word of God. God will give you a home. You are looking for a peaceful home. Give your house to the Lord and watch God give you a peaceful home. You are looking for a fruitful home, give your house to the Lord and watch God give you a fruitful home. Present your tithes and offerings and he will give you open heavens. Malachi chapter 3 verse 11. He said, prove me now in this. Prove me now in this. 
The testimony I gave you is nothing short of what I call open heavens. When you are consistent in giving to the Lord in tithes and offerings, forget all this nonsense that is going all over the place. The covenant law of tithing and offering did not go with the Old Testament. Let anybody say what they like and let them argue. Let them not watch this video. I don't care. I have practiced it for 30 years. It works perfectly well when you are connected to God. Don't, if you don't want to call it tithe, I've said, if you don't want to call it tithe, call it giving. I hope that will be, because there is giving in Corinthians, isn't it? So don't call it tight if that word is worrying you. <laughs> but have a set amount, whatever it is, that you give to God regularly. Minimum 10%. Watch what God will do. He said, prove me now in this. I have proved him many times and it works for me. It works for me. Many times my wife and I will just say, Lord, we need this. And at times it's tens of thousands to do certain things. We just say, Lord, we need to do this. And we don't know how it's going to come. But right before our eyes, not once, not twice, not three times, God starts to move. He starts to move. But we don't joke with our tithes. We don't joke with our offerings because we realize every time our tithes and our offerings go up, what we are doing is we are enabling the open heavens that brings about the multiplicational power of God. It helps us. When my mom was speaking, I was doing some kind of interview with them that I want to use for, our, I'm giving you some expo for my birthday now. I want to use for the, some of the clips in the thing. When she was speaking, I looked at the set of teeth that she had. At 82, those set of teeth were still perfect and white. <laughs> no dangers. Solid. <laughs> Hallelujah. I look, you will see the video if you think I'm lying. You will see it. I said, what? At 82 years old. Some of us at 50, we got the dentists have magic. <laughs> dentists have put hammer and put chisel. <laughs> not once, both of my parents, not once did the dentist ever touch their teeth. They were connected to this law. The Bible says in Psalm 92 that even in the old age, they will be fruitful. They will be fruitful. You will continue to be fruitful. Whatever you put in God's hand by faith, I decree that God in his covenant of purity and covenant of truth will deliver multiplication to you in the name of Jesus. Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3 is what we need to practice. We all know it. He said, blessed is the man. We talked about blessing from the beginning. He said, blessed is the man. If you want to be blessed, follow what this great servant of God said. He said, blessed is the man. What are the conditions? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. There are many counsels of the ungodly all over the place. Reject them. Stay with the counsel in the word of God. There is a temptation, like I talked about tithes and offering now. There is a temptation to lure people. They are all counsels of the ungodly. If you want to enjoy these blessings we talk about, the Bible says don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The Bible says the counsel of the Lord, that alone shall stand. The counsel of the ungodly may look good today. It will fizzle out tomorrow. The counsel of the ungodly may be appealing today. It was appealing to Eve. That is why we had the problem. It was an ungodly counsel. Look at it. It is good for you for food. God said no. The counsel of God said no. He said no, it will make one wise. She took it and that was the beginning of her problems. The counsel of the ungodly robs you of blessings. He said blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. You don't toy with sin. Don't say everybody's doing it. Nobody's doing it. You may be shocked. It may look like everybody's doing it, but the truth is, even if everybody is, be the Joseph that say I wouldn't do. Be the Joseph that say I refuse to compromise. 
The pressure to fall into sin and to be living in sin is not decreasing, friends. It will continue because the Bible says because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will wax cold. May your love for God not wax cold. You will not stand in the path of sinners. You will not sit in the seat of the scornful. You know the scornful? Those who make a mockery of everything that is godly. They look at you and say, that's you. You fools. You are still practicing Christianity. The life has changed. World does not need Christians anymore. No, that is the seat of the scornful. They're scorning your God. Don't let anyone scorn your God. If you want to be my friend in this life, you can't scorn my God. I respect you, love you for who you are, but you can't scorn my God. If you scorn my God, it ends our relationship. It frustrates our relationship because you are in the seat of the scornful and I've been warned not to sit with you. Verse, verse 2, verse 2, verse 2, verse 2. The Bible says, and his delight, read it for me, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. The Bible says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let the things of God be what you treasure. Let the things of God be what gives you passion. You delight in the law of the Lord. And in his law, you continue to meditate day and night. Let that be your focus. Let that be everything. In my family, Acts 17, 28 is our banner. Every time my wife read it to you in Power Tower this morning, Acts 17, 28 says, For in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. Every time you are confused about things, go into the law of the Lord and meditate. What did the Bible say I should do about this? You says you should wait upon the Lord. You will renew your strength. So Lord, I am waiting. I delight in your law. He said, even though the vision is for an appointed time, wait for it. When you don't see the result, say, Lord, I am waiting. I am tarrying. I thank you. And then he begins to inspire you what to do. Never ever doubt God. This morning, he said to me, he said, anyone who doubts when I call them insults my integrity. He said, anyone who doubts me when I call them insults my integrity because God is too faithful. He will not call you to make you fail. He calls you and empowers you. The Bible says, faithful is he who has called you, who also will perform it. So when we reject because we think it cannot be done, we are insulting his integrity. We will not insult the integrity of God. Let's rise to our feet. Well